0: Proclaimed as raised from the dead. After some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our creation is in vain, and the faith is in vain. We are in fancy with disrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ. and we did not raise, He was still. So if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and your sin consists. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have cursed. If in Christ we live and work in this life only, we are forgiven people to be forgiven. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, those who have fallen asleep, by a man and death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each is in an order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule. To put all things on the last enemy is death. So For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, and the Son Himself will also be subjected to him who do all things in unto you, that God may be all in Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If dead the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, why am I fighting you? Which I have him, trust you, so I, I die every day. What do I gain? in with human speaking? I thought it would be so If the dead are not raised, there is ease in dreams for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. There is something in the world of good models. Wake up from your drunken studio, as it's right, and do not go the cinema. For some have been anointed. That's That's thank, you, thank you, for bringing up the for us. And uh, welcome. Thanks, everyone. Wonderful to see you here. Uh, my name is Huey, if we haven't met before. And uh, it's great uh, to be able to have an app for with working this morning. We bring you to the end of that passage from one Corinthians fifteen in Friday, and we're going to look at that. Before we do, we're going to need God's help to understand His Word, so uh, I want to enjoy you in the second Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your kindness and mercy to us in the Lord Jesus, and we thank you that you gathered us here this morning to uh, listen to your Word, and uh, Father, bless we turn now. Achievements over the past year has been running a half marathon. Uh, now, I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, uh, he doesn't look like the kind of guy that would run a half marathon. But uh, last year I um, lost a free event without mentioning uh, the practice of uh, And so I had no choice but to uh, run a half marathon, uh, which, as you know, is a uh, 21. To Around the 15 kilometer mark, I started to ask myself, is it all worth it? Uh, you know, I was starting to hit the wall physically, my legs were growing tired, uh, I could hardly stand. And so I, I I started thinking to myself, you know, it's not shame to go back to Sophia and I couldn't do it. Um, and again and again, I asked myself, worth it? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the energy? Now, I wonder whether that is a question you and I ask ourselves in the Christian life. Now, so, you know the Christian life is a bit like a marathon, isn't it? It's, it's tough. It's hard going. It's long. And uh, perhaps you're starting to hit the wall as you're asking yourself uh, whether it's all worth it. Yes. Is it worth coming to church early on Sunday after a long and hard week of work, rather than speaking? Is it worth sacrificing my time and my energy and resources to serve Jesus and His people? Is it worth giving my money, my time, my money generously towards the work of the gospel? Is it worth it? Well, this morning we're going to continue uh, looking at chapter 15 and the passage that is read out for us. Uh, and as we will see, Paul says that the answer to the question, is it worth it, really depends on the fact of the resurrection of the dead. The question of is it worth it depends on the fact of the resurrection of the dead. Now, you can see this in the first part of our passage. You might remember from last week that Paul began to remind the Corinthian church at the start of the chapter um, of the gospel. He started reminding them of the gospel because he was concerned they were swerving away from this message of first importance. But in the very first verse of, of today's passage, you can see exactly how some in the Corinthian church was swerving away from this message. But in verse 12, Paul says, have you look at at verse 12? Uh, says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, some in the Corinthian church were saying that there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. Notice they are not denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Rather, what they deny is uh, the Old Testament belief uh, we read about this, uh, in first 22 and chapter 12. What they were denying was the Old Testament belief that in the human history, God will raise up His people on the day of judgment. This is the thing. Notice that what Paul wants to do here is he wants to point out the logical implications if there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. I think Paul would have made a great, great lawyer, actually, uh, because his logic here is impossible. So through with me. Uh, firstly, Paul says that if there is no resurrection of the dead, there are great implications for the ministry of the apostles. Why? Well, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if people are not raised to life on the last day, some to, uh, some to uh, face God's judgment and some to live forever, then in verse 13 it means that not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has not been raised from the dead. In verse fourteen, it means that the preaching of the apostles has been empty. Because if you remember, the preaching of the apostles was built on the message that Jesus had risen from the dead, and He is now the Lord and Messiah and King of this world. So that in verse fifteen, it means that. Serious Jew like Paul was the very serious charge of blasphemy. The second, notice that Paul goes on to show that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then it's not just the ministry of these apostles which ends up crumbling, but the basis of faith for all Christians. For so if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then in verse 18, you can see that it says that the faith of the Corinthians themselves is futile, because they are still in their sins. You see, if death is the penalty for human sin, and there is no reversal of death in the resurrection, then they must still be in their sins, is what Paul is not only that, but you're saying Christians have died already, are facing eternal judgment from God because their sins have not been accounted for. In yet, of if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christian people who have hoped in Christ in this life. Are the people most to be treated. Most of the time, there is a major building growth going on. What they're doing is uh, they're pulling down this high uh, office tower block uh, and putting in some new townhouses. Uh, but it's been fascinating to watch how they have demolished uh, the old office tower. Uh, I know that uh, there is at least one person here who has worked in Denison, so I'm going to uh, uh, put to be an expert on this. But it seems to me that what they do is uh, they remove certain critical parts of the building, but uh, you know, parts that are integral to the structure of the building. And once they remove those sections, uh, it's very easy for the building to be build. uh, that's what Paul is doing today. He's saying, take away the resurrection of the dead from the Christian faith, and you have demolished basis of the Christian faith. And if you demolish the basis of the Christian faith, then you Christians who have believed in this stuff, the resurrection of the dead, and the most beautiful people in the world, because you're friendly you like with Jesus for something that is, in the end, empty, enormous. So when I was younger, I was taught sort of a particular way of evangelizing uh, or trying to persuade and people to the Christian faith. Where he stated basically, you know, even if the resurrection were not true, mm-hmm. uh, you don't lose anything by being a Christian person. Um, uh, that sort of reasoning. I uh, even if there is resurrection, that i kind of as a Christian because, you uh, know, Christianity gives you a meaningful life. Gives you a, a loving Christian family. Uh, Christianity uh, gives you good morals. And so, you have know, really got nothing to lose. And that is important. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then you christians the people in the world. Now, is it really possible for Christians to deny the resurrection of the dead? Well, you've got to remember that, that it's not that in Corinth were denying the resurrection of Jesus. What they were deny, as I said earlier, was the general resurrection or the belief that, one, that God will one day raise all believers physically from the dead. Similarly, I wonder whether there are many in the church who don't necessarily deny the resurrection of Jesus, but they do deny. In terms of a physically resurrected body, but nothing is floating around with itself as a disembodied soul. So I want to suggest that that is not a Christian idea, it's actually a a, a, pagan, brutal idea called the immortality of the soul. And Paul would say if you believe this, then you are not far from denying the actual resurrection of Jesus himself. So, and you deny if we go on to the next part of our passage, uh, I want you to see that Paul begins to do the opposite of what he's been doing in the first part. For he shows the logical implications of the resurrection of Christ being true. Now, notice in verse twenty, he doesn't try to prove the resurrection of Jesus there, but he simply states it as a fact because his purpose is to show us the, the serious implications of what follows if Jesus really did rise from the dead. Now, what are these implications? Well, firstly, you can see it in the way Paul describes the resurrection of Christ. Now, did you notice that he speaks of the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits so you can see there in verse 3, and again in verse 23, 3. why does he speak about the resurrection of Christ as the first fruits. Well, uh, I actually just, you know, take my thunder here and explain it to you. But uh, uh, let me explain it like uh, uh, a box of kids. Because uh, if you like kids, you're yep, like not looking better. What they do is uh, they option off the first box of cherries. Isn't it? I think it happens in, in uh, the Sydney markets. But why do they do this? Well, it's to indicate the beginning of the cherry season. Isn't it? When you see the first box of cherries, well, you know that this, the cherry season has begun, and soon you will see boxes and boxes of cherries on the supermarket shelves. That's what Paul is saying. Is. Christ's resurrection is the first fruit, because He is the first of many. When you see Christ's resurrection, you can be sure that there will be more resurrections to come when God gathers His harvest. The plan of God always been to reverse the effects of death in this world, so that his people will leave a together with him. And that's why this book, Paul speaks about Adam and Christ. For Adam is, remember, was the first man who sinned and brought death into this world. So that as our representative, our natural representative, he brings death each one of us, and yet Christ is the man who is raised from the dead. So that as our representative, He can also raise us from the dead to be with God. Secondly, Paul says that the resurrection of Christ shows that He is the King who will one day destroy death. Forever. is in verse 23, however, that Paul explains that this will happen in a certain order. And so firstly, Christ himself will rise from the dead as the first groups, which has already happened. Secondly, those who belong to him will rise when he returns to judge the world. And finally, verse 24, Christ will destroy every person Every spiritual power from the person, including death itself. Which in verse 26 is seen as the last and greatest enemy. because just death expressing, I have heard of God's good intentions for this world. You know, friends, our world tries very hard to convince itself that death is not so bad. It's yes, quite common these days to see death as just a natural part of life, for example. You don't need to be sad when death comes along because it's just part of the natural cycle of life, that, you know, and our life will just be one. We'll all That's it. The only problem is that death doesn't fit experience the death of someone that does that not rather it feels like it is the enemy that separates, from, it, that separates us from people that we need to have. So it is God's intentions for this world. Will defeat death once and for all. For on that day, God will bring all his enemies, including his enemies of death, under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will destroy them forever. Now, you'll see there Paul is a in verse 27 to show that, that all things brought in submission under the feet of Jesus doesn't actually mean that, that God himself, God the Father, will be brought in submission see, there's verse for that God's Son will submit to the Father and send over the kingdom to the Father in the end, so that God's rule will fall sway over all the earth. But don't miss the point of these verses. What Paul is saying is that the resurrection of Jesus shows us that a day is coming when all things will submit to Jesus as King. It is And on that day, those who belong to Christ will be raised to be forever. And those who are his enemies will be destroyed. And so the real question is whether you and I will go to that day as those who are God's friends as those It was a morning this morning you in the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. if you are someone who is Christ's enemy rather than his friend. And my thing you this morning is to respond right into it. We will you recognize in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead that he is the Lord and and will you willingly really enjoy how submit to in as your king? So that you can be called with me. For the promise of God is that those who respond to you So in the final part of that passage for him, notice that Paul speaks about a strange practice in the Corinthian church, which involves baptizing people on behalf of the dead. As you see in verse twenty-nine, actually, where speaks about people being baptized on behalf of the dead. And as I said, we went to group group this week, we had no idea what he was talking about. Most of us. Um, the good news is, uh, I also have no idea uh, what this passage is talking about. Uh, and I, I think that's because uh, we have very little idea of what, you know, uh, details might be like in the early Greek literature to look like. The Christian church themselves would know exactly what it was But for us, uh, it's hard to know with great certainty. I mean, it could be what the plain reading of the passage suggests that people were actually being baptized on behalf of dead people. So that is, people in college were being baptized on behalf of other uh, Christian people who had since died before they were being, uh, before they were able to be baptized. And That's one question. Could be that people were being baptized on account of the dead. And that's another way you can translate this passage, that People were being baptized on account of the dead. That is, people were being baptized and becoming Christians on account of inspiring Christian people who had since passed away. So, it would be a bit like me becoming a Christian. After being inspired uh, reading a biography of Billy Graham or some other Christian hero who the since died, I seem to favor this view, but it really depends on the week that you're asking me. But, friends, uh, I think it's, but friend, it's important when we come to things like this that uh, we don't end up missing the forest or the trees. It's very easy to get caught up in the details. Miscause argument. Because the bigger point that Paul is making here is that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then the Christian life does not make sense. Becoming a Christian doesn't make sense. And that's why Paul asks why he and the other apostles live the way they do if there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. Now, if you see there in verse 30, have not look at the verse 30. Verse uh, 36, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my fighting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain? Humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus. Now, when Paul talks about fighting with beasts, he's not talking about you know, being thrown through the lions uh, in the Holy of some Christians uh, were uh, in ancient times. Roman citizens like Paul were never have thrown the life in that manner. Rather, he's talking about the severe opposition that uh, he faced in the city of Corinth from those who did not believe his message about Jesus. And if you remember, in Acts chapter 19, there was a huge riot in the city of Ephesus because Paul was uh, turning people away from ideology. The worship of the true and living God and putting you know, the people who made little statues of idols out of business. But you see the point? If there is no resurrection of the dead, why does Paul put his life in such danger? Why does he die to himself and serve Christ and his people? Why does he live such a costly life? Is there is no resurrection of yes, the dead. In fact, if you look at verse 32, Paul says that if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's true, isn't it? The Bible is such an honest book at this point. It says, if the resurrection of Christ were not true, and after we die, we simply become food for the worms forever. Well, we may well just to eat and drink and enjoy every treasure that this life has to offer because after we die, well, that is the end. But even then, it's all meaningless because after we die, what do you going to remember about your life anyway? But you see friends, this is how our world lives, isn't it? Good. let us eat drink-for-tomorrow-we-die philosophy of life is a lie and will. It's the you only live once attitude of life. It's the kicking off the bucket list attitude to life. It's the fear of missing out attitude to life. Whatever you want to call it, it is the prevailing attitude of life to this world. But here's the thing. Those who live like this may seem... Like the most alive people on earth, they may seem the, like the most attractive people on earth. They may seem like the most envious people in this world—not yeah, just envious people in this world—but in reality, that kind of life is, just, is the most thing. That's sort why of life is driven by it with me, but there is nothing else to get there. And this week I read about a terrible plague that came to the ancient city of Athens. And the plague was so terrible that people had lost it by people. I would say death. how would you use your life if you knew that we'd have to you would be dead? And do you know what happened when the plague People in Africa started to commit every horrible crime and engage in all through the lust of pleasure, irresistibly, because they thought time was short and they would not be held accountable for their pains. And so they took the opportunity to eat and sleep, to compute, and to experience every pleasure available to them as they could. The yeah. mm-hmm. so if there is no resurrection of the dead, then time is short. So you should just eat and drink, and make it your life's ambition to experience every pleasure. Mm-hmm. But if there is a resurrection of the dead, and if it is true, The Lord and judge in world. And the makes sense. For Christians are the ones who can put themselves in danger and who can die to ourselves for the salvation of others. We are the ones. You are living across your life for the sake of serving pride in others and it reveals that you do believe in the resurrection of the For only those who believe that the best is yet to come will be able to give things up in this world in anticipation of the Lord. But if your life is in reality about you to take him off of the feast, and be warned, for you reveals us the Christmas that does not come from the gospel. For me, it is a great tragedy that so many people who profess to be Christians live like the rest of the world in eating and drinking and making merry plans to experience their future. Paul issues a great warning in verse thirty three. He says, "Men, do not be deceived by those who say there is no the resurrection of the dead." You see, uh, you see there even from a popular play of the day, which says bad company ruins good morals. In other words, do not be deceived by that group of people who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So if you do, your life will be a sinful life of eating and drinking. Experiencing everything pleasure. I'm thinking that death is the end. And so, Paul says in verse 31, years of you need to wake up. You need to repent of your sin. For those who think there is no resurrection of the dead, don't actually know the God. This week, our queen of uh, 70 years passed away all the privilege and for all the wealth, she was someone who believed in the resurrection of the dead or the dead. so her life was not about eating and drinking and enjoying every day, 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 but that's not what her life is about. As it's coming up more and more, as it will build into her life, her life was about serving others. In the most challenging of times, her life was about dying to the self. Her life was being faithful to God. How can we imagine that this is a fact? I once heard that the reason why the Queen always dressed in you know those bright colours—pink, orange, blue, uh, and so forth—was not because she was passionate about this. But it was because if she got into trouble in a crowd of people, if she needed help, then her minders could spot her quickly and rush to her aid. On Thursday, our queen was overcome by a great name called Death. But make no mistake, God spotted her. He was not Is it that it is the life there that makes the difficulties of the Christian life worse. if you are a Christian this if you are struggling in your Christian faith, if you are finding desire, keep going. Guide yourself for the sake of others and for the sake of gospel. For the resurrection of Jesus makes you. We thank <laughs> you for your word for us this morning. We thank you especially for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead as the first fruits of a great harvest that's to come when you will raise your people. Thank you that your plan and purpose for your people has always been life rather than death. Father, we pray that because of Christ's resurrection, you I mean, would help us to live with great hope and great endurance and perseverance in the Christian life. But please help us not to live like the rest of the world, eating and drinking, in the belief that this is the end, but help us to die for ourselves.